Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Up Podcast. Episode number 99, the Turk Wendell episode. What a way from a big milestone here of 100 episodes of the Mets Up Podcast. Hopefully, we'll have a nice celebration episode for the next one for you guys. Yeah, I'm teasing the news. We're so close. We're so close. It's crazy. It's about to be nuts when we do get to say the things that we want to say. But hey, that's not what you're here to listen about. You want to know our thoughts and opinions on what just happened against the San Diego Padres, a series in which the Mets lost and didn't particularly play played too well maybe one of the worst played series that we've had all year i think the worst played a lot of really good ones so it's more so that like all right it was it wasn't a win think about it logically is the third series the mets lost and it was the least games they were actually in yeah i mean if this was a four game series they split the series. They well, win for game sure. Four. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, the, the tide would have clearly turned for Game Four, much like the Dodgers series and that Brave series from way back. So yeah, we're going to talk about all the games with you guys, all the pitching matchups, everything that was going on. There was a lot to talk about, so we will talk about it. Make sure you're following us on our other social media at MetsUp. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen, drop us a rating, drop us a review, download the episode, whatever you got to do. And if you want to watch a video version, check out the YouTube channel MetsUp Podcast for all that. So I don't need to bring in James because he already spoke. You guys saw him. You see, we're in the office again we're in the studio and the studio episodes are always electric this one particularly because it is currently 1 a.m this might be the latest we've ever recorded outside of the max scherzer drunk night episode it's probably the latest we've ever recorded in person out of that yeah. drunk night because we will we'll do them in our own apartments just however late it goes but this is a this is, this is the latest i've been in queens if max scherzer hadn't signed with the mets within the last 24 hours since you lived in queens yeah since i moved here <laughs> let's start off with game one it was a legendary keith and gary game they were on another level it was the words the phrases that these guys were saying was something out of i don't even know what and that also kind of comes with the territory of ronnie not being there i always feel like ronnie is has now you know become like the buttoned up professional he's on the national broad Podcast, MLB Network. He talks more analytically than the other two guys, more about advanced stats. He wears, you know, Ronnie, like, where he kind of dresses like a professor sometimes, it feels like, some kind of teacher, some kind of esteemed teacher. He's Maybe, dapper. Yeah, Professor Emeritus, if you will. But without him, especially on the West Coast, Keith and Gary just got crazy. They were called the Padres uniforms muster than mud. Which, which is see that one right behind my shoulder right here that that Fernando Tatis hat helmet hat Jesus it's one fifteen in the morning yeah no that would be a helmet that's a helmet it's hard but yeah mustard and mud Keith this joke went really crazy on Twitter he said the Mets were stroking it out which is just that's like it's way past Keith's bedtime Keith for sure whenever the Mets game ends he, he takes his car back to the Hamptons which is crazy that I think he does that commute f- or pretty frequently and he definitely is asleep in the car for whoever's driving <laughs> him and he goes right to bed when he goes home like Keith is in bed. Brit- Basically by midnight every night. At that age, it probably takes you significantly longer to like rehab off the jet lag. So for Keith, all these games were happening between like 10 and 1. Like we were all watching them. Yeah. So he was like almost drunk because he was so tired. And yeah, when he's saying stroking it out on the air and Gary goes, don't say that. And Keith's like, why? They're stroking the ball. They're stroking it out. Well, also it's kind of like a double innuendo because what Gary was saying on the broadcast was that we don't want anyone to talk about having strokes. You know, we're old men here. We don't want strokes. I think most people took it like sexually. I think it did get sexual too with Gary one point. He's like, oh yeah, that too. (laughs) Wait, hold on. It's not just about the strokes. One, there was one point when the Mets were hitting Blake Snell. He said that the Mets were blowing his drawers off, which he mixed together two sayings there and also somehow made that sexual again too, which you don't really love to hear. And then he went ballistic, I remember, over a seeing eye single. I feel like it was by Hosmer maybe. Yeah. That just went like opposite field for a run. He was like, oh, that's good baseball. Man, it was a Padres hit, not even a Mets hit, by the way. We're dropping names. The yeah. names that he dropped were insane. Walter Matthau, Larry Hadman, and Peter Fonda. I know one of those guys. What Are they baseball players? I believe Walter Actors? Matthau was like... I, this, I always think of him as one of the... I think he was one of the first 
news anchors? I don't even know if that's right, but it feels like it might be. That kind of feels right, too. But these guys were just in their element the whole time. It helped that this was the one game of the series that the Mets played very well and actually wound up winning. Yeah, I thought this was going to be signs of good things to come in this series because the Mets swung the bat extremely well in game one. And it also helped that Blake Snell just did not have it from the start. Yeah, he was just very Blake Snell. He gave up three walks and two singles in the first inning, and he actually was almost out of it. He was up against Mark Hanna, had him 0-2 with a couple guys on, worked to walk. J.D. Davis, same situation the next at-bat, down 0-2, worked to walk, and suddenly the Mets had a run in. Eduardo Escobar, at the beginning of his very big night, got a two-run, two-out single to give the Mets a 3-0 lead in the first inning. Yeah, and of course, Blake Snell doesn't make it past the fifth inning because I think they flashed a stat that like 88% of the time that he's pitched in Major League Baseball, he's gone five or less innings, which is just insane for a guy who won a Cy Young. But this is also very Blake Snellish because he had the awful first inning. Then uh, Ruben Niebla, so guy's name wrong in the last episode, apologies there. He went to the dugout after a 43-pitch first inning from Snell, put his arm around him, and then Snell cruised for three innings. Did very Blake Snell. Then he came back out for the fifth, an inning that, as Mark just said, he's a lot of trouble getting through. Manny Machado made one of the funniest errors I've ever seen at the beginning of the inning. Snell dropped his shoulders like he likes to do. By language went crap. He didn't get one out in that inning. So very Blake Snell fashion. Gave a bunch of runs, didn't get through five, and threw way too many pitches for what actually wound up happening. Yeah, the boys continue to swing the bat throughout the rest of the game, but really... We also got to talk about Carlos Carrasco, too, who Cookie was phenomenal. I mean, we ended up losing the series and getting absolutely destroyed the next two games. But with this start, you really felt like the Mets were in control the rest of the series with what Carrasco gave you. Yeah, Carrasco, I thought, had his best start of the entire year, at least that I saw, because his other best start of the year was that Braves game that we were at with the seven line. actually got on TV during it, so shout out Carrasco for that one. But Carrasco went seven innings, ten strikeouts, two earned, and he just felt very much in control the whole time. There wasn't really any moment until he got through the lineup for a third time where you felt like the Padres were even challenging him in any way. Well, they were talking about how the Padres don't chase. They're one of the lowest chase rate teams in all of baseball, and they were chasing on Carrasco. They were biting on everything, so his stuff was clearly working. I mean, the numbers don't lie. Seven innings, 10 Ks, two earned runs. He was dominant. Yeah, I just said, I just said those Did stats. you say that? I said yes. It's, oh, man, 120 really just messes up my brain. Yeah. But the big thing with Carrasco here, Mark mentioned the Padres hitters chasing. They did a lot. And a big reason for that, I think, I don't know for sure, but I'm hypothesizing it. I've talked about this a lot with you guys. He had an even pitch mix. He threw his four-seam fastball, his slider, and his changeup all between 25 and 30% of the time. And each of those secondaries, especially, were dominant. Each had seven whiffs, and that was a lot of the chasing you talked about. And the slider, I thought, especially took a step forward for Carrasco in this game. Not really a step forward, more just like it looked good relatively. It's not like, remember we saw that tweet that someone's breaking out in their late 30s? Yeah. Oh, my God. Who said that? Uh, I don't remember who said it, but I saw someone tweet out that Eduardo Escobar is finally having his breakout, which yeah. is hilarious. Not really true. I don't remember who said that. I don't want to defame anybody, but you can't. It's hard to break out at this age when your skills are kind of, you know, settled. More likely for a pitcher because pitchers' things can change quickly. But San Diego packed this lineup with lefties. Very left handed, heavy lineup in every game this series. Yeah. I think they just have a lot of options. Also, a lot of their players are just lefty. And Carrasco attacked a lot of those hitters with back foot sliders and he was very, very, very consistent with it. He was burying them. He was able to knock them on the corner sometimes to make them look. He was able to put them inside on guys' hands. Looked very good along with that. He was working that changeup low and outside against the lefties. He, every single thing looked good and was working, and I'm just completely over the moon with how he's looked so far this season. It's been really nice that he's the throw-in in that Francisco Lindor trade. Everyone forgets, but he is a guy that we got along with Francisco Lindor, and he has been one of the better pitchers on this team this year. Granted, he's been healthy as well, so that helps. But it's funny because a little foreshadowing, Chris Bassett didn't have a great start. It felt like they almost flipped the expectations. If you were to a betting man, you probably would have thought that this would have been more of a Bassett start, and Carrasco would have had the one that would have gone short and not great but realistically going into the year i think they both had similar types of like projections from like the projection systems anyway maybe bassett being like more of a three six crasco being more of a four one yeah but i think now having seen these guys for a few months it kind of looks like they are similar skilled pitchers i'd say right now where the stuff is fine i think crasco stuff's a little bit better than bassett but i think bassett's command's a little bit better we'll talk more about bassett's command later but crasco on the season right now with a three five era 23 percent strikeout rate and a 4.9 percent walk rate this is a guy who we very comfortably can trust reasonably more than we could two months ago yeah he helps us every five days for sure and especially when we don't have the grom we don't have scherzer mcgill is coming back apparently this weekend so that will be big he's on the schedule for friday yeah on the schedule which will be nice to get him back it's nice that carlos carrasco has really stepped up this far yeah, and just to wrap this game up a little bit, because we got to still talk about Eduardo Escobar, the Padres did have a mini rally in the eighth inning after Carrasco left against two of the Mets' 
expected better relievers right now. Joely came in, got a quick out, then gave up a single and a walk that you really just you Joely seems to give out these walks, but it feels like he shouldn't sometimes. Yeah. Drew Smith came in, got Manny Machado out, and then gave up a long home run to Luke Voigt. So with these two guys not looking very sharp over the last, I want to say, two-ish weeks, because yeah. Joely kind of was down, then he was way up, and now he's a little bit down again. It's a little bit nerve-wracking that these two guys are not pitching to their capabilities. And I think it, a lot of it has to do with, too, there's just a little bit more tape on these guys. Guys are seeing them a little bit more often. And their stuff is always not going to be as sharp as it is at the start of the season when their arm's fresh. The Mets have also had, in the last month, we talked about before before the show, two off days. They also had two other rainouts, but they were both followed by double headers, so it's hard to even call that an off day when you immediately have a double header because you're playing the same amount of innings. So only two off days in a month, that's that's a lot, and everyone's going to be taxed from the starters down to the relievers. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, like we said, on the hitting side, at least the Mets were able to answer again. Every single time they gave up runs, they came back and answered, and nobody bigger than Eduardo Escobar, who ended up hitting for the cycle. We were actually watching the game on Discord. Yeah. Me, you, shout out to our boy Drew, not the expert if you guys are YouTube fans, you should check him out. We were watching the game on Discord. Discord, uh, along with my friend Wheels. Shout out to Wheels, too. Yeah, shout out to Wheels. Wheels. But we were watching, and we were like, man, wait, Escobar's a triple away from the cycle. And Wheels goes, one weird bounce off the wall. He gets it. Next pitch, boom, right field off the wall. Weird bounce, and he hits for the cycle. It's also even funnier because Eduardo Escobar, entering the eighth inning of this game, just had a single and a double, which yeah. I would call that more of a normal game than someone approaching a cycle. It was really benign at that point. He hit the big home run in the eighth to give the Mets an insurance run that wound up being important after the relievers came in the eighth and gave up a few runs. And then you're like, he's a triple away, but it's the eighth inning, and he's probably not going to get another shot at this. And the Mets had some tiny little rally after him in the eighth. Nothing came of it, but they got some guys to the plate. A little rally beginning of the ninth, and then suddenly we were here, and Eduardo Escobar needs a triple for the cycle, and he cashed in. I was texting you today about Eduardo Escobar because I saw a stat about like his last 15 games. He has a lower on-base percentage than his batting average because he has not walked. I don't remember what he did tonight, but he has not walked in his prior 15 games up until Wednesday night, which is crazy. But it seems like that might just be the Eduardo Escobar. You mentioned this earlier in the year. It seems like when he's going well, he doesn't walk. No, he just like Eduardo Escobar. If you look at uh, his rolling graphs, neither Fangraphs or Baseball Savant, I like using rolling graphs. Shout out Scott Chu from Pitcher List. He's the rolling graph king. But you can kind of see if you look at his, the course of his career, like his Woba, his ex-Woba, it's just like up and downs, up and downs. Like a little Wild West Escobar experience. And right now, we're in an up. So enjoy the up. We're going to get it down again like we just saw. Doesn't mean he's bad. Doesn't mean he's unplayable. He's just going to be up and down, up and down. He's going to have like sustained weeks of like 150 OPS plus, sustained weeks of like 70 OPS plus. He's going to wind up being like between 100 and 110. And you're going to look at him. When did the Wild Escobar get 80 RBIs? Yeah, that, no, that's exactly what he's going to do. And we saw him do it this game. Mets end up winning. Which was nice. That was good. Game one, we feel great. Yeah, very good. It was a three-game one streak. The Mets have just now won two against the Dodgers, one against the Padres. Got a great start from Carlos Carrasco. You took down Blake Snell. You're like, all right, we have a good shot now. We got to win one out of two to win another series. And to be fair, we did kind of have game two circled as the one that was going to be really tough. Taiwan mm-hmm. going up against Yu Darvish. And as we know, Yu Darvish completely Owns the Mets. Owns the Mets. He took a no-hitter into the sixth inning in this game. He was dominant throughout. I went back and looked at Yu Darvish's career stats against the Mets. He started against them seven times, 45 innings pitched. Has a 4-0 record. We're not a wins and losses podcast, but to never lose against the Mets is something that's pretty annoying to me. 0.75 whip over 50 innings, which is... It's disgusting. You're, if you're a reliever, that's a dominant season. 2.76 ERA, which honestly shows he's had some bad luck against the Mets with that whip in ERA. <laughs> and a 49 to 8 strikeout to walk ratio. Yu Darvish habitually owns the Mets, and he just did it again. It's also crazy for a guy who's never been in division to pitch seven times against the Mets. Right? 50, 45 career innings. It's like every single time the Mets play a team that Yu Darvish is on, he's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to pitch. Let, yes. Please, let me pitch. Well, I remember 2019. The Cubs, right? Yeah, the Cubs. There was a game where the Cubs were just completely reeling. Like, they were one of the worst teams in baseball, and Yu Darvish walked on the mound and struck out the Mets like 13 times. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, it was, like, think, it was like August of 2019. Was that the Jason Vargas game? Was that when him and Mickey Calloway no, tried to fight? No, that was early. That was in Chicago. This was in City. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I was thinking of the Chicago. Yeah, one. I remember that because yeah. I, I moved the summer of 2019 from Columbus back to the East Coast. And that Jason Vargas game, I was still living in Ohio. Okay. And I was in New York for the Darvish start. What a time to be alive. <laughs> Crazy stuff going on here. Talking about our manager fighting reporters. <laughs> Things are happening. And also, the other part of this game, why we kind of circled is because that we know Tywin Walker is not a world beater. He's doing a lot of very valuable work for this Mets team, and he did more of it on Wednesday. But he's just not, he's just, he's throwing a hit up a ball right now. And he got hit again. He's really pushing the secondaries, though, which kind of gives me some optimism about what Taiwan can be. It feels like a phrase we use sometimes. He's, he's, he's working things out. 
He's a bulldog. Yeah, he's he's trying things. He's trying something. 55% slides and split changes, though, in this game. The most combined he has had of those two pitches in a single game this year. He just kind of left them up each a few times and kind of just left them in a spot where the Padres could hit it. So that's more of an execution thing rather than like a plan or like a process thing, a word we like to use. But again, the vision is there. The fact that Tywin Walker is throwing that many of secondary pitches and then just mixing in the fastball, this is something that could grow into something else. And it wasn't even that bad of a start. He gave up some runs early, but then he just bulldogged it, put his head down, and gave us six innings and just four in runs, which really isn't, that's not that bad. You you have a chance to win the game when your starter gives up four, I want to say. I think he retired 12 of the last 14 he faced, too. There so, like, go. he ended the game well, and that's something that we talked about in the preview, too, that Taiwan struggles third time through the lineup. Yeah. He got a little bit more this time. It was a good start. If Taiwan goes six and gives up four every game, that's that's a pretty good job for Taiwan Walker, I think, right now. It's like a five and a half ERA. We're not going to, like, extrapolate ERA of, yeah. like, a single start over time, but... Padres, again, they're not even a good offense, but it's just it's, it's these little execution things with Taiwan. It's a couple sliders and a couple split changes that he's not locating. And if you just change the execution, those few pitches in the game, it'll change the whole complexion of a start. And to be fair, the Mets' energy just got completely sucked out of them yeah. when they... I, was, I shouldn't have said that. Completely sucked out of them. I didn't like that. But we'll leave this part in. When Marte and Pete came out of the yeah. game early here, Pete getting hit in the hand, and Marte, a tight quad, I believe it is, right? Yeah. And I think the Pete thing really seemed to uh, suck the air out of him, double up on that, kind of more so, because Pete got hit in the hand. It was a ball that, I think it was like they said, the ninth or tenth time he's been hit this year. Yeah. Some ridiculous number. I could have just made that up. Mets but, lead the league and hit by pitch. Yeah, it's one during the morning. I'm just going to say some stuff. But and the way it hit him, you didn't really know. It kind of looked like it could have been the wrist. It looked like it could have been any part of the hand. It kind of got a pinky, and luckily x-rays and the MRI both came back negative for a break and a fracture, so thank God. But when you see a batter, especially if Pete's caliber, get hit in any part of this part of a hand, like that could be months. And scream and yes. shout and like emphatically like be like, I, I can't play. And not really protest to the fact that he can't play. Pete is a guy who seems like he never, ever wants to come off the field. He he played through almost a broken wrist last year in Tampa because he wanted to play in front of his family Yeah, when he really should have no business being on the field. So that was something that I think the mess looks around and went, ah, shit. And I guess we do have some okay news. I'm not going to call it good news by any means. But right now, Pete and Marte are day-to-day. It looks like they're going to avoid IL stints, which is big, especially with the off day tomorrow, the day that you guys are listening to us. The fact that we get that off day yeah. is huge for this guy's health and coming back sooner. They said a lot of swelling on Pete's hand and that they're hoping that it subsides. And then Starling's just tight. It really, I, There's not much you can do when you're super tight. Yeah, Starling's old. You guys see how chiseled and jacked he is. You have a bigger muscle, I guess more likely to be pulled. Drink water, stretch. That's probably the only thing. Yeah, and Star- Starling tried to work through the injury. He said he felt a tweak in the first inning. He played until I believe it was the third. Then he pulled himself out. He came out after Pete got hit with the pitch. So yeah. whatever that sub- just, just clicked in. Yeah, he was like, you know what? Maybe that's a sign. <laughs> Don't need it. Maybe that's a sign that I got to get out of here. Yeah, and also other bad news. Colin Holderman has his first more the of the season. I think he let the first three guys on, and then they basically all came around to score. Yeah, he just he lost it. He yeah. got a little bit of the. I don't want to say the yips because it wasn't that bad, but he just he walked the first guy, walked the second, walked the third. He was not around the zone. And even Keith goes, man, I think this is more mental than physical right now. Like this is just holy shit. I just fell apart, and what do I do now? It's also a good reality check for this Mets fan base because Colin Holderman, Mark was even saying in the last episode, was like an elite high leverage reliever. That was never true. He I, Listen, I saw his <laughs> numbers pop up before this, the appearance too. I was like, man, he's only walked one guy, proceeds to walk the next three. Like, yeah, we probably need to come to earth a little bit on Colin Holderman, but I do still think that down the line is going to be useful for this team. Yeah, and he's going to be useful probably in the next in this Angel series, so I'm not really worried about Colin Holderman. It's just a rookie who had a bad outing. And at this point now, this was the Mets' second shutout in the last week after they had not been shut out the whole season for the first eight weeks. This felt like our poop fest of the series. Yeah. We're due always for a poop fest, which again, I, we hate that we have to keep bringing this up. But you thought, okay, you Darvish against Taiwan Walker. This was the one, if we thought we were going to lose, this was the game. And going into game three, without Marte and Pete, it definitely hurts, especially with a team that's already low right now on just bats in general. Yeah, the Mets had one bench player for the game on Wednesday, and it was Pat Mazika. So you're not really going to be jumping to put your backup catcher in the game. No, and uh, it followed up with another poop fest. Yeah, well, the question now is what's worse than a poop fest? Because that's what happened on Wednesday night. The Mets got annihilated in this game. It was, what, 11 nothing in the sixth inning? Yeah, that was uh, a quick, let's start doing some quick notes here yeah. about anything and try and wrap this up as soon as we can so we can record and go to bed. I threw the, the Giants-Rocky game on because I had a bet on it. Yeah, it just, Bassett did not have it from the start, which was weird because he struck out five, I think, in the first three innings, mm-hmm. which is decent. That's a pretty good start. I mean, you would love that 10 over 6 or whatever you're going to, you know, stretch that out to. But 
His command wasn't on. His pitches weren't really sharp. It seemed like the Padres, despite striking out five times, kind of knew or had a feel of what was coming and where it was going. And they were just finding holes, too. I mean, that's going to happen when you have J.D. playing first and Nick Plummer and all these guys just kind of... Plummer was DH. Oh, he was DHing today. That's right. But it just... It was a weird feeling game from the start because you are missing Pete and Marte, who I think are two big energy guys for this team. Massive energy guys. And Bassett is a command guy over a stuff guy. So there's so much less room for error for a guy like him when it comes to execution. And you kind of saw it early. Bassett usually relies on his cutter and his sinker to get weak contact against both righties and lefties. He wasn't able to place that cutter inside against lefties like he normally does. His slider also just, it it wasn't catching corners. It wasn't getting swings and misses. And again, all series, the Padres stack their lineup with lefties. I think they just have a lot of lefties again. And he just left a few sliders, sinkers, colors over the middle against them. They got hit hard. I distinctly remember the uh, the Cronenworth home run was something right over the middle of the plate. Profiled a couple hard hits on a ball over the middle of the plate. He just didn't execute. I'm still confident what Chris Bassett is. Like last start, he struck out seven Dodgers, gave up three earned yeah. and maybe six, maybe six Dodgers in six innings pitch. He did this one earned and six or seven strikeouts in six innings against the Phillies two starts ago. So it's not like... We're, we're going crazy about Chris Bass. It's not like Chris Bass can't beat good teams. This is the first best start he had all year against someone who wasn't the San Francisco Giants. And the Giants just might have his number. Yeah, it seems like they do. 13 earned and in two starts. We talked about that when that wanna start hear, happened. Want to hear a fun hypothesis about Chris Bassett's start tonight? Yeah. You know who his former coach was last year? Ah, oh, Bobby. Bob Melvin. Yeah. He's the head coach of the Padres. You want to talk about having a scouting report on yeah, a guy? Man. This guy's been coaching them for the last two years, the best years of his career. Does it actually make a difference? Probably not. Bob Melvin would be the greatest coach ever if his scouting report was the reason why the Padres hit like they did tonight. I thought you were going elsewhere with that. Well, I also have the other fun yeah. fact. I just got to find who tweeted this at me real quick. Shout out to Elitz, E-L-I-T-S-19. I I don't know how to pronounce your Twitter, but hey, shout out to you. This is a really cool stat. Figured out why Bassick stinks now. I don't agree with that statement. But before McCann got injured, he had pitched to him every start except one. Since then, he's had a 5.97 ERA, hashtag Mets, which... Again, we've talked about it too. ERA in a small sample is probably one of the worst stats. That but I, th- I think there is maybe some truth to it because we've talked about when he was even pitching to Mazika at times. Yeah. That there was a lot of shaking off. It didn't look like he was ever particularly comfortable. Is that the reason why he's been struggling? I don't think so. I think pitchers can just go through this. I mean, it happens all the time. You can just be cold for a month. That's a thing. And you can just blow an ERA with literally one bad start. Two bad starts. Yeah. Two bad starts in this five-game stretch where everyone's tweeting out the 70 ERA. Yeah. That seems to be the popular thing right now is he has a 70 ERA in his last five. Bad start against the Padres, bad start against the Giants. Both good teams, but also he pitched well against the Dodgers and Phillies. And also, people are kind of trying to pigeonhole Bassett right now, being like, he has to be the ace with Scherzer yeah. and DeGrom out. He doesn't have to be anything. Chris Bassett is what he is. Chris Bassett doesn't now get better because some of your pitchers are not there. Like, Chris, but don't put a round peg in a square hole here. Like, Chris Bassett is what he is. Chris Bassett is a good pitcher, gets some soft contact. He gets strikeouts sometimes. He was always going to be a guy who had like a mid to high threes ERA over the course of the season. That is who Chris Bassett is. That's what Chris Bassett, that's what Chris Bassett we traded for. Just because our better pitchers aren't playing right now doesn't mean that if Chris Bassett isn't an ace it's a failure it's just this bad start for a guy who relies on command he didn't have it and the Padres were all over him and the Mets did nothing at the plate either today no nothing they got a couple cheapo runs in the seventh inning when this game was totally out of reach but hard to win when you give up 11 but the Mets also scored two and it's also like all right the Mets got bamboozled for a couple games in a row has that even happened this year doesn't feel like it I can't recall like the the only time we had back-to-back losses well we've had a couple the Dodgers the Dodgers the there Nationals, was, uh, Phillies. Nationals, Phillies, two games of the bullpen blue. And when we didn't, we, we lost the back to back Giants games because we had the crazy comeback yeah. that we blew against Jock. And the next day we got bamboozled, Thomas and Pucky. Yeah. So, like, yeah, the Mets aren't winning every single series like they were to start the year, but we also knew that's not really possible. Yeah. It's the third series the Mets have lost all year. The third series the Mets have lost all year. It's June 9th. They've only lost three series. And all three of those series, we're, we talked about this off air. The other team has had a player who went, like, absolutely batshit crazy in that series first was jesse winker for the mariners then was jock peterson what's such a good series can propel him to the all-star game and this this series jerks and profar against three right-handed pitchers just hit everything jerks and profar decided to be the n- former number one prospect he was there you go and also i saw a crazy stat from it was kyle glasser of baseball america no more zara had an rbi single in the first inning of wednesday's game he had an rbi hit on tuesday as well i believe and yeah he's swinging the bat decently okay for the moderately better but, than robinson cano yeah but preller came to the Padres from the Rangers. The last year he was with the Rangers was 2013, maybe 2014, actually. Yeah, I think it was 14, I yeah. think. And then he had that crazy offseason where he got Craig Kimbrell. I think it was Justin Upton. He went ballistic for that one year. Then he tore it all down. Then he was like, oh, maybe we should get some prospects. During his tenure with the San Diego Padres, A.J. Preller has employed almost one quarter 
of the 2013 Texas Rangers, his 2013 Texas Rangers top 30 prospects, guys that he scouted, guys that he signed, guys that he helped develop. Four guys on the current roster right now, and Jerks and Profar, Jorge Alfaro, Nomar Mazzara, and Nick Martinez. So AJ Prello just loves going after his old guys. Yep, and they beat us. Yeah, they beat us. They're right now the third best record in the National League. They're 13 games over 500. They put three pretty good starting pitchers up against you this series. You lost. Yeah, I was disappointed that we lost. But again, yeah. by no means concern level. Concern levels zero still. Shout out Sam, McNeil fan account. Buckeye, Mets, Rangers. We like all the same teams. Becoming a friend of mine. I told him before the series, Mets are going to lose two out of three here. There's just no way it's not going to happen. It's just the way the law of averages are working, the way the Mets karma has been built up. We're, we were due to get just bum rushed for a few games. And it happened. It happened. The Mets have, like we said, not played a lot of bad baseball, and I feel like it's really easy to overreact to losing two of three to the Padres, even though, like we said, record-wise, third best team in, in the National League. So we're overreacting to losing to a good team. Listen, just because the Padres beat us doesn't mean we stink. The Pirates swept the Dodgers, like, last week. Yeah, and people weren't jumping out of windows. Which, like, you would think that would deserve a jumping out of windows. Right? You would think Dodgers fans would be like, oh my god, we just we, we didn't just lose one game to the Pirates. We lost three? All three at home? Could you imagine betting in all of those games? Nah, I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> imagine doing that. Well, it couldn't be me. Did the Yankees get swept in the first series of the year against the Red Sox? I think I, I don't remember. That's so long ago. But they, like, they at least lost two out of three. Teams lose series all the time to other teams. It would have been nice to win, but by no means is the sky falling at all. I will say this, though. A special fuck you to Sal Licata because, mm-hmm. as you guys know, we're not big fans of his, his work over here on the Mets the Podcast. But on May 31st, when the Mets were cooking and playing really well, he went on SNY and he shouted, proclaimed that the NL East is over. It's the Mets. It's over on May 31st. I think we literally warned everybody, don't say that. No, don't say anything like that. Since May 31st, both the Braves and Phillies have not lost a game. I think they're either 13 or 14-0 combined. The Mets still have a very healthy lead over both teams. I'm not particularly worried yet. But it's just crazy that we would have somebody, somebody who has some sort of platform make such an outlandish statement knowing that the Mets had this kind of lead last year and had this before and that the season's never won in May 31st. The Braves were not great last year at this time. The Nationals a few years ago were one of the worst teams in baseball and won the World Series. Like It's a long season. There's a reason 162 is so important. It's not one now, but it's good to get a lead here. It's good to have this cushion. But I don't want it. To, I don't want to keep talking about it as a cushion. That to me, like, makes it seem like we're waiting to screw up. Yeah, and there's also there's an outside chance that Salakata goes on the SNY where airwaves tomorrow and says the Mets season's over, the team is in shambles, they need to make a trade. I would say almost a 75 percent chance. Yeah, I'd put it about 60, better than one out of two. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they got to make content over there. Yeah, yeah, you got to get people to watch. <laughs> but it's just those kind of comments. We've never really been extremists over here. No, I try not to be. Also, I didn't even realize that clearly was actually active for this game tonight. And yeah. Medina was sent down. Okay, so the Mets didn't have a one-man bench. They had a two-man two, bench. Two, technically. Yeah. yeah, he got a nice trip to San Diego. Got to get out of Syracuse and go to San Diego. Must, must nice. That's a blessing. <laughs> yeah, he's on that flight like, ah. <laughs> and that's honestly probably a perfect way for us to switch into the prospect report. Yeah, we, we, we could bash Salakot literally all night, but yeah. we're not going to be able to do that much longer. So happy to get that off our chest. Yeah, well, this is this is a uh, one of the last episodes before things could be changing for the better i would say yeah for the better overall but we're gonna lose you know that uh that sharp tongue that you guys have come accustomed to yeah i don't think we can say fuck you salicata anymore no <laughs> it's 130 and 145 let's oh my throw God. on the johnny skremsky too yeah we'll see you guys on the other side <laughs> but let's talk about the prospects big names first as always francisco alvarez has been so so hot which is nice because the last time we spoke about him he was ice cold yeah and he got hot literally right after that <laughs> which we the messed up touch yeah that's it bang riding an eight game hit streak He's running an eight-game hit streak right now, Binghamton. He's also gotten hit in 11 out of 12. Seven home runs over that span, That's including gross. one yesterday. So gross. He's completely locked in the plate, as he's done before. And over the last couple of weeks, since we last spoke about the prospect report, he has risen his WRC plus over 30 points to 135 on the year. So, like, he's still really good. He's still 20 years old in AA. Like, he's truly one of the best prospects in baseball, and I'm happy to see his development. Yes, which is awesome. And he probably will become the top catching prospect now in baseball because Gabriel yeah. Moreno just got called up by the Blue Jays and added with the Orioles. And there were a few people who thought Alvarez was better than Moreno anyway. So there we go. Francisco Alvarez swinging the bat well. El troll, as he says. El troll. I'm kind of running through these right now as the way the Mets prospects are ranked in Baseball America's new rankings. Everybody go get a subscription to Baseball America. Check them out. Do great work. Brett Beatty, next on the list, Mets number two prospect. Hitting fine, but 
the thing that's making me kind of nervous about Brett Bathey right now is the strikeout rate has gone up this year and is higher than it has had been at any level previously for him. And I wonder if that's maybe because Brett Bathey's at the point now where he's like, I got to try and hit for some home run power because gap to gap right now is just not going to get me like that quick promotion by any means. And that's always been the thing that I feel like everyone's waiting for is the power to develop from Brett Bathey. But that's also not really happening either. His K rate has jumped six points from last year was sitting between 24 and 25%. Now it's above 31%, below 32%. Not a good place you want to be. That's higher than the league average. And the power isn't there. His ISO has actually taken a tiny little step back. And he's now played in the same amount of games this year and last year at Double A. So, listen, if you're Brett Beatty, this is exactly what you want to hear, though. You want us to, to bring you back down to earth. The one saving grace, though, that Beatty has had right now, which maybe the new approach has a chance to show some dividends, is that he has cut his ground ball rate. In a similar sample, in two different stints at AA, down 13%, and he's pushed that into line drive and fly ball rate. We've talked about before the fact that line drive rate's kind of dumb, and I don't really know how to gauge that. Because if you if you guys like the stat line drive rate, the next time you watch a game, maybe you're with your friends, maybe you're alone, maybe with your family, try and do it by hand. Watch the game and say, is that a line drive or fly ball off the bat? It's really hard to tell. Yeah. It, ma- it makes the stat kind of dumb. That's why I kind of like to just lump those two together, and I kind of say anything... Higher than 10% launch angle, I'm just calling it the fly ball. Anything lower, I'm going to call it a ground ball. So the fact that Beatty has been hitting significantly less ground balls and pulling the ball at least reasonably more than he did last year at the same level, that is some cause for optimism. He also hit a home run yesterday, so that's a little bit, maybe breaking out, who knows. But that is the Brett Beatty update. And you talked about the fly ball rate. Let's also talk about Ronnie Mauricio, whose fly ball rate is through the roof, which is really, really cool. Because this is a guy who we know has always had crazy, crazy raw power and is been a top prospect for a while but how do you get the home runs you gotta hit the ball in the air and he's starting to do that way more than he ever has yeah his fly ball race jumped significantly this year at double a over 46 percent that's a number that he struggled to get about 30 percent at stops in the past so that's a really big deal for mauricio also this is over a very small sample and it could be noise but his last 12 games he's actually cut his k rate a lot he's sitting below 25 percent right now which is a number that I didn't really think Ronnie Mauricio would be over the last few years, especially at AA, as I believe still a 21-year-old. Yeah, he's incredibly young, too. But over his last 12 games, only eight strikeouts and no multi-strikeout games, which that is kind of something that has snowballed from Mauricio in the past. So more fly balls and less strikeouts, still no walks. That's okay. That's a very big sign for Ronnie Mauricio, and something that actually I think is a guy who's normally talked about as like a big boomer bust prospect. That's something that I think makes his floor very palatable. Yeah, and you were talking about that with me earlier, that there's a bunch of people in the prospect world who are starting to get really high on Ronnie as a guy who is probably at worst a major league player. Dan Zipsbrowski, owner of the Zip System on Fangraphs, he has a prospect ranking that he produces a couple times a year using his Zips model. And it really is kind of just a measurement of how likely a guy is to be some kind of a contributor at the major league level. And he has Mauricio in his top 20. That was at least preseason. As a guy who just is athletic enough to basically play defense anywhere and has enough power to compete at the major leagues at some point and is now a guy who's striking out around league average at a level that he's significantly younger than the average player at. So you pull that together and you kind of see a guy who at worst should be someone who contributes at the major league level relatively consistently. It's a pretty good floor. Yeah, it's a good floor. It's suddenly a good floor. This kind of made me swing a little bit in the way I think about Mauricio's development. Now we got to go to the AAA level here, talk about Mark Vientos, who has been scalding hot since the beginning of May. That's number four prospect on Baseball America. Dude is hitting bombs. Six homers, 163 WRC plus with a 320 average, 400 on base, 600 slugging. Yeah, sign me up for those numbers all day, and especially when he's walking 10% of the time. Absolutely. The only thing is over that same sample since the beginning of May, Mark Vientos is striking out 32% of the time, but that's kind of just the Mark Vientos way. He kind of cut that K rate last year. Maybe he'll get that down as he keeps developing. But we talked about the last prospect report. Vientos has been a habitual slow starter every single year in the Mets system. He's proving that again. So we can all shake off that rough start at AAA. Doing this over the last month shows me that he is someone who probably will get a shot at some point this year for the Mets. Yeah, especially with what's been going on with health and just injuries and stuff. You think about the depth that the Mets have at a third base position, or even if you want to get creative and put him at first base, there's not a whole lot. We were playing J.D. Davis at first base this series a lot just because we, we don't have another first baseman right now unless you want to bring up Dom Smith. Yeah, or Daniel Palka. Or Daniel Palka. But Vientos, I think, is a guy that by the end of this year, we will see him in Queens at some point. Definitely. You just got kind of worried about a 32% strikeout rate in AAA and how he will respond to major league velocity. Yeah, which it's definitely different. And there's no way we could tell. We got trial by fire sometimes. Yeah, you got to see it. Alex Ramirez is another prospect that has been flying up boards. That's what, the number five? 
best number five prospect officially in Baseball America, which is a massive jump from where he was last year. And also jumped into the top 100 in LMB Pipeline. Also, Baseball America's super, super conservative with their yeah. prospect rankings as well. They're not super into the high-risk guys. So Alex Ramirez to be getting this kind of love is pretty huge. Yeah, and Alex Ramirez, just looking at him, seeing his highlights from St. Lucie, he looks like he's put on some serious mass. He's listed 6'3", 170 oh. everywhere. I don't think he's that size anymore. He is like an imposing physical force. I've seen some prospect guys I trust say that. Watching that level consistently, being at the games, he is clearly one of the at least physical standouts at the level. And he hasn't been as good as he was at the beginning of the year, but he's still like really good since May 1st. 120 WRC+, 170 ISO. Again, not where he was the first month of the year where he was like one of the best hitters in the entire level, smoking the ball over the place, but he has been very good. I saw a highlight of him from last week where the Mets faced Chase Petty. Twins... Yeah, Twins. Yeah, trade. First round pick from the Twins last First year. First round pick from the Twins, but now trade to the Reds and Sonny Gray deal. Oh, yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. He pitched three innings against the St. Lucie Mets, shut them all down. Only hit, though, being an Alex Ramirez rocket into the corner for a triple. And watching him run around the bases, you'd think he's an NFL wide receiver. Yeah, no, he's looked really, really solid. Uh, fun fact about him, highest batting average of the Mets organization. Hey, not bad. Batting average podcast. Stat that doesn't matter, that matters. No, but yeah, he's... He, Alex Ramirez, he's still, what, 19 or 20 at that level? Yeah, no, he's, he's a baby. Yeah, and he hasn't gone to the, the, the offensive black hole as Brooklyn yet either. Yeah, we'll see how he handles that because it feels like he'll get a promotion at some point. For sure. And he, he's a guy who we've been off since the beginning, someone great to watch, and someone that we can kind of hang our hats on. And now he's actually had the ascent that we kind of predicted. Yeah, no, that, that's all you, man. I'll give you that one for Alex Ramirez. That was like a let's find someone fun. Yeah. How about Alex Ramirez? He's looked pretty good. I mean, he's not... Not going to say Maraca signed this year. He had like the third highest international signing bonus given out by the Mets in the last five years. For sure. You could, you could, that's an easy one to pick. And then on the pitching side, let's talk about Jose Buto, who Mm -hmm. probably has the most excitement of a pitcher that could come up at some point this year. And he's looked really good. I think you were telling me he was touching 97, which is massive for Jose Buto. Shout Shout out Jacob Resnick and Michael Mayer. They've both been talking about Budo a lot. They both have very good minor league videos and analysis. You guys want to follow them? I'm sure you already are. But Budo has been sitting 95 and getting up to 96 and 97 this year, which is a massive, massive adjustment for a guy who doesn't really have a great breaking ball, but has a very good shape on that fastball. So he used to just have a good shape and got whiffs on it sitting in the mid-90s. But having a good shape and getting up to 97, at worst case scenario, this is a guy with a a fastball that rises and can get the upper 90s with a devastating changeup. Worst case scenario, that is a really good relief pitcher. Yeah, and he was dominant in, what, two starts ago against the Somerset Patriots, which, as we know, the Yankees have one of the strongest farm systems, and for him to get 11 Ks in six innings, minor leagues, don't go crazy, but that's encouraging. Very encouraging. That's Somerset Patriots team for the Yankees, 33-19, one of the best teams in the AA Eastern League. The Yankees' farm is ridiculous. They're breathing football players out there. Those guys are like thick, thick men. We saw them last year. We were in yeah, Brooklyn, and we were next to them on the field. We were like... There's a difference in size between the Brooklyn yeah. Cyclones and the Met and the Yankees. And we saw Elijah Dunham at the Fall League. He's having a breakout season in Double A. Yep. Andres Chaparro was also at the Fall League. He puts out some crazy exit velocities. Anthony Volpe's on that team. This is a good team. Good team of solid players. And Budo struck out 11 Somerset Patriots in six innings. He did pitch yesterday, though. He didn't have as good of a start, but, I mean, he's a pitcher. Things change on different days. Through five innings, two walks, three strikeouts. But Budo's, it's been very encouraging year of development for Jose Budo, who I think is still kind of being criminally underrated in the baseball world in general. But that's also because he doesn't have a curveball. Yeah. Or a slider. And you look around, but now he does have elite velocity. Which changes that things. That changes things a little bit for him. Elite velocity, above average velocity. But as a guy who doesn't have an elite breaking ball as a right-handed pitcher, it is a tough hill to climb. But with the velocity, I think he has a shot. Yep. No, definitely excited to see what Jose Budo continues to do this year. Now we're going to give you guys some names that aren't in this top 10, aren't one of the ones that you hear a lot about, but they're doing some interesting stuff. And in low A, we talked about Alex Ramirez already, but his teammates, Carlos Dominguez and Omar De Los Santos, a little bit older for the you know level. They're 22 years old, I think, 22, 23. And they kind of got screwed a little bit from the COVID season because they were in Dominican Summer Leagues, and then the COVID season happened, so mm-hmm. they're getting even older. And then they had rookie ball last year, and it's like they're 22, but they're not really like an old, ugh, gross, like what are yeah. you doing down there, 22? Like what a waste. It's just that's kind of how their progression's going. And to be fair, they're doing some things well. Like Carlos Dominguez and Omar De Los Santos both have hit balls for home runs 112 miles per hour this year, which is impressive. Jose Ramirez has not hit the ball 112 miles an hour in the major leagues this year. One of the best hitters in baseball. He's a second, second in the MVP race to Aaron Judge in the AL right now. Now, one thing they're both also doing, though, is striking out an exorbitant amount. Carlos Dominguez, 42% K rate. Omar De Los Santos, 36% K rate. That is something that will not play on next levels. That has to be cut down. And looking at both of them, they have incredibly long swings. I like Carlos Dominguez's swing actually 
a little bit more just because I think that swing can play better. And I think there's a world where it, it might just be like he's maybe too aggressive. We haven't seen a lot of their swings. We oh. see mostly their home runs. But his swing looks better than De Los Santos, at least from a mechanical standpoint. Dominguez has what I'd call like very explosive hips. Like you see the way he rotates through on a swing. You're like, there's a lot of power in that bat. He's an elite rotational athlete, as the scouts would call him. And it looks like they both sell out for the long ball. Dominguez Great. has 12 home runs. Omar De Los Santos has eight with 10 doubles. And... 23 stolen bases. If you look down on the minor league levels, you see some guys who are like seem to be like a little bit ahead of everybody else with these crazy stolen base numbers, and that just kind of means the ball player knows what he's doing out there. Heads up, smart. Yeah. Another Taking guy. Another guy who looks heads up and smart in the Mets minor leagues, Wyatt Young. Talk about two big guys hitting home runs. Let's completely flip the script here. Because Wyatt Young is 5'7, 180 pounds. I put LOL no way because my size. I've seen him. He's not 180 pounds. There's yeah. no way. I'm 180 pounds that if he's 180. I'm 150 pounds. There's just absolutely no shot. Pepperdine graduate, 15th round pick back in the 2021 draft. So a guy who went kind of under the radar because the Mets did take a lot of pitching last year in the draft. But Wyatt Young being one of the hitters. Grew up in Hawaii as well. So you know he's absolutely miserable playing in Binghamton and Syracuse. <laughs> he lived, went from Hawaii to Pepperdine. So Hawaii to Malibu. And now he's playing in Binghamton and Syracuse. But he's playing really well. He has no power whatsoever. Like he's a small guy. But he's a little bit McNeilish in his hitting. He's a lefty. He'll slap it around the field. And in AAA, which is impressive for a guy who just got drafted, he's hitting 352 with a 442 on base percentage. That plays. Oh, yeah. Now, what's weird, though, is he's struggling in high A and double A, which he's also got some time in, too. I, I don't know why. I don't know. Is he in AAA that. now? He's played a lot of games in AAA. He's played, like, a decent amount at all the levels. Where was his most recent game played? Yeah, despite raking at AAA for... A few weeks, which that's so bizarre to me. He's now in double A, which, like I said, he's not swinging as well, which, again, doesn't make sense. But, hey, if the dude's swinging in triple A as a 15th round pick in 2021, that's, like, almost a win already. It's at least good organizational depth. Yeah, definitely. So, I don't know if we'll see. I don't think we're going to see him this year by any means. I, I kind of hope we not. don't. I hope we don't. <laughs> that's going to be bad. But like, I'm horribly wrong. Keep it out for Wyatt Young. Everybody likes the short little guy. That's we, our guy. We might see him if Jeff McNeil gets, like, kidnapped. Yeah. Oh, God, please no. That's the Wilson Ramos all over again. Yeah, we're going to knock on wood. No kidnappings. <laughs> this has been a little long prospect report, but, I mean, we didn't want to talk about this Padres game for that long. It was a crappy series. But two more pitchers I want to talk about. Two guys I talked about a little bit last year. First one being Joel Diaz. Second one being Javier Atencio. They are both at in St. Lucie right now. Joel being 18, who I think is the youngest player, youngest pitcher at that level. Has he pitched yet? He has. He's pitched a couple times. The results have not been good, but just the fact that he is 18 and at that level shows that the Mets see a lot of potential in him, as as do we. And they're just being aggressive. And I love being aggressive. You know, throw him in the pool, see if he swims, whatever. And Atencio, he's had a good ERA so far in triple at in low A. Hasn't really had the better best results stats to back it up, the K's and walks and whatnot. But he's this kind of new type of pitcher. Little guy, lefty, with a very lively fastball that can get up to 95. As a guy who's only 6 feet tall and looks like he's maybe 200 pounds soaking wet. But it rises through the zone, and he has one of those new, wonderful, big sweeping curveballs. The sweeper that is sweeping, LOL, across Major League Baseball and farm systems everywhere. So you can marry those two pitches. That's a very good start. At 20 years old, at the level, it's still pretty young for it. Especially as a pitcher, it usually takes pitchers a little longer, especially ones that are signed as teenagers, children, if you will. I like that the team's being aggressive with them, especially a Mets team that has shown over the last year that they're willing to take more chances with pitching development. And they definitely need to because there's not a whole lot of pitching in this farm system. Talked about a lot of pitchers last week, though, who are doing pretty well from the last draft. So it seems like the Mets are finding pitching depth where they have to right now. Yeah, they lack that next guy, that almost major league level quality. That's what they lack. Budo kind of is that, but we just we're not, we don't really know what his ceiling looks like. Yeah. And you know, we'll probably get a look at that guy this year at some point. I so. hope so. And that's pretty much it for our prospect report. It was a little more in-depth. Uh, like we said, we wanted to not really talk about this Padres series too much. We have one game to really talk about because yeah. the rest was straightforward. They beat us bad. And we talked mostly about Gary and Keith. Yeah, which that's fine. That's cool. We had a this, this fun episode. Like we said, things are changing possibly on the next one. You guys will find out soon. It's going to be good, though. It's going to be good changes. I promise. <laughs> now let's preview the Angels series. We got three games out in L.A. They have lost, what, 14 straight now, I believe. 14 in a row as of Wednesday night. I'd love to see them lose 17 straight. That'd be really cool. That would be great. But I almost kind of hate that we're heading into a series with a team at its lowest point. But, I mean, this is the Angels' lowest point. In the midst of this losing streak, they have fired their manager, Joe Madden, and facing their 14th consecutive loss in a row. Every single Angel on Wednesday night 
walked up to a Nickelback song. Would you have to respect that? Yeah, for sure. If it works, but it didn't. Now everyone had to listen to Nickelback for a whole night, and Mike Trout didn't play. And Mike Trout might not play this weekend. We don't I know. Hope not. Yeah, I mean, for baseball, good. For us, bad. If yeah, Mike Trout can avoid being in the lineup against the Mets, that gives us a massive advantage. I almost feel bad, though, for a lot of Mets fans out there who aren't, like, psycho addicts like <gasps> us and watch oh, baseball. Damn, yeah. You imagine going to L.A. Yeah, I know. to go watch the Mets play the Angels or and even no just, Trout. You want to watch these games this weekend if you're going to get a shot to watch Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, the best two players in baseball, and you can't. I hope he plays and just strikes out every time. That's that'd be good. That's a good. That's a good. You know, parallel. Or on Sunday night, the Mets are winning ten to three, and he hits a home run to make it ten to four. Yeah, and I won't. Yeah. I won't say how he's been playing coming into this series because yeah. I w- I wouldn't dare say that. No, but... I mean he actually was hitting really well before the leg thing. Okay, all right. He, so... In that game, he had a home run and a double. So he was heating up right before. Yes, I can, I can say that. I'll give him the heating up tag. What are the pitching matchups? I know we mentioned Ty Lore is pitching on Friday night, which is nice. Get yes. to see him back off the IL. Tyler McGill is pitching for the Mets on Friday. Allegedly, right now he is, and he's expected to pitch throw between 70 and 80 pitches, which is kind of where he should kind of be sitting anyway, yeah. especially coming off an injury. He's being opposed by Michael Lorenzen, former center fielder, former reliever, stellar pinch hitter. He's gotten some good results this year, but I don't think the stuff is really that great. Not someone to fear. I think there was a reason the Reds made him a relief pitcher, was to get the most out of his stuff. You stretch him out longer, I just don't think it works as well. You know who was a Reds, a Reds reliever a few years ago, 2019-2020? Oh. Kevin Gaussman. That's, I guess that's a good point. <laughs> All right, but then he went to the Giants, and we know the Angels pitching is not the Giants pitching. No, Angels have done a couple of decent things with pitching development in the last few years, and I think Lorenzen could be one of that, but I'm not... I'm not really afraid of Michael Lorenzen. And this game is going to be on the Apple TV broadcast. Oh, no. Yeah, Friday night. Oh, awful. Yeah, not excited to see the Mets on Apple TV. The production's good. Crisp. The commentary's horrendous. Not great. Not looking forward to that. Might be a radio night. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's going to be 10 o'clock on Friday. God, I'm so so done with this West Coast trip. (laughs) I hate these 2 a.m. podcasts. (laughs) And we're going to do it again on Sunday night. Sunday night baseball. Yeah, so I guess this is going to be a late podcast. Whatever. But Tyler McGill versus Michael Lorenzen. Saturday at 10.07 p.m., Carlos Carrasco versus Patrick Sandoval. And I know for a fact that Patrick Sandoval is going to annoy Mets fans to all hell. He's a wacky lefty with a very good changeup, which is the exact thing you don't want to hear. Yeah, and as we know, the Mets do struggle against lefties right now. Especially Weird, wacky ones. Not, hitting uh, not Blake well. Snell. Not Blake Snell, I guess. But McNeil doesn't hit lefties well. Nimmo's been struggling against lefties, it feels like. Eduardo Escobar is swinging the bat better right-handed, I think, than left-handed. If Pete's in the lineup, I think it changes things. Yeah, and also Lindor get hot again, maybe on the right side of the plate. But Patrick Sandoval is kind of breaking out this year. He has like chronic back issues, so I don't know how like real this is. He's also like a weird skinny guy, nicknamed the Irish Panda by Nick Pollock of Pitcher List, which is kind of a funny nickname. Oh, because Patrick. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's gonna be annoying. I hope Carrasco stays hot though. And then Sunday Night Baseball is the one we've all been looking forward to here. We've got ESPN is telling me David Peterson, but Anthony DeComo said Taiwan Walker. So I'm gonna lean. With uh, Anthony? Gonna, yeah. when, when's the last time Peterson pitched? Uh, against the Dodgers. Yeah, he did pitch in that Dodgers series. He hasn't pitched since then? No. He's not due to? I guess he probably would have been due for Friday, but now McGill's going to be back. Mets have like a weird yeah. plethora of back-end rotation guys ready to go right now. I, it, I'm going to trust Tacomo, I think, because yeah. he seems to have an inside source, and we also know ESPN might not be the most reliable. Yeah, for sure, especially with baseball stuff. I trust him with the Angels, though. So that's the, That means the last time David Peterson threw a pitch was when um he got taken out in the middle of Mookie Betts at bat. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. But So that means Sunday we're going to have Taiwan Walker versus Noah Syndergaard. Which is going to be a fun one. On Sunday Night Baseball. Would really, really like to beat Noah. It would be awesome. He's throwing a hittable pitch right now. He, Noah Syndergaard is scared of break. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to jinx anything. Noah Syndergaard, though, has been reluctant to throw breaking balls this year. Which, that, listen, and his fastball doesn't hasn't had as much jump as we've seen in the past. We're, we're changing how we're saying these words. It, it is sat 94-96, which is a far cry from former Syndergaard. Still has a league command. He's always had a league command. It's just the stuff hasn't really been where it once was with the Mets. So it might be weird for Mets fans to watch this game and see like a, a different-looking Noah Syndergaard. And I do expect him to probably be a little bit sharper because of the Mets. He's definitely going to try to be. I don't know if it's, that's a guarantee. Yankees got to him. And Yankees annihilated his him. His first trip back to New York. So hopefully the Mets can smack him around. And that was really, it's kind of funny, but as only start with like really bad results this year even though like what's underneath it hasn't really looked very good the strikeouts aren't there the fastball velocity isn't there and again he's very reluctant to throw breaking balls that's what i'm going to use reluctant reluctant nothing nothing with negative connotations it's been a weird season for Syndergaard. and you kind of see a guy like him who still has an era that's palatable like in the low fours high threes and you're like i don't need to adjust yet 
So hopefully we get them before the adjustment. That'd be great. Yeah. I'd really love to see that. And honestly, this team looks a whole lot different as long as Marte and Pete Alonso are in this lineup as well. They make it so much longer. They make it so much deeper. We talked about this too off air. That right now feels like the Mets lineup is very much split the top of the order and the bottom of the order, which sounds yeah. kind of obvious and redundant. Like, yeah, of course, duh, that's how it works. But you can see that there's like a clear hierarchy and there is a drop off and you're lacking that bridge. Yeah, especially when Pilonzo hits fourth every single game and he's habitually intentionally walked. Yeah. So hopefully those guys back. Hopefully they're healthy. I know we just lost a series to the Padres. It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. You lose series all year long. Be happy that it's to the Padres and not to the Washington Nationals. Yeah, the Padres were swept by the Cardinals a week ago. We've still handled the teams in our division. If you want to really get crazy and you're jumping off a bridge here, jumping off a ledge, we still handle the teams in our division fairly well. We are still doing very well this entire season. Guys, there's really nothing to freak out about. And we have three more against the Padres at home later in the summer. Like, when you come off a crazy, intense series against the Dodgers like that with no off day, it takes something out of you. And then you watch two of your five best hitters go down the same game, two of your four best hitters, kind of. Not two of your five, two of your five best hitters. Yeah. It's a lot. It's kind of like in football when you have, like, a crazy game against one of the best teams in the country. Hard fought, tooth and nail, thinking about, like, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin, good old Big Ten football. And next week you had to Illinois. Yeah, and you get and smacked by Illinois. You're just you're not ready for, it and they out physical you. The Mets got beat by the Padres this year. The Padres are a good team. So Illinois is probably not the best comparison if any Padres fans. Yeah, yeah. I take that back. It's not a comparison for San Diego Padres, but the Mets left it all out there in the series last weekend. It was a very emotional win on Sunday. They didn't have an off day. Hadn't had an off day in a week. It was a lot. Padres blew out three really good major league starting pitchers, and they beat them. It's it's gonna happen. You're going to lose. It's baseball, games. Susan. Yeah, it's baseball, Susan. Everybody, take a deep breath. Take a deep breath with us. It's going to be okay. We're going to be okay. This Mets team is better than they've been in the past, and we have all the confidence in the world in them. And honestly, I think that's a perfect way to wrap up this episode. Episode number 99 again. I will tease it one more time just because it's it's so fun to do. And I'm, if you guys are watching the video of this, me and James are so excited to tell you when, it's eight, when we're able to. Today was a big day. Today was a huge day. Big day. Lots of, lots of ground was made. A hurdle was cleared. We, we lit, we've been saying we're on the one-yard line. I think we're t- we're kicking the extra point right now. It's 13th down. Yes, yeah, it's, th- it's the 13th down. We're kicking the extra point. It's kind of like we went for it on fourth down. We got a pass interference. Went for the, went through the fourth down again. Got an offsides. And now 13th down. I was saying, give the ball to Marshawn. Give the ball to Marshawn. Give the ball to Marshawn. That's what we're trying to do right now. Very, very close. We'll let you guys know as soon as it does happen, though. As soon as we can, you will be filled in. And hopefully, that is for episode number 100. That is the next one after... What is one of the more eventful series, I think, going up against the Angels? We're going to have the Cindergard storyline, Sunday Night Baseball, Mets finish their West Coast road trip, coming back home to face the Brewers and Marlins after that. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for watching. Make sure you're following us on all our social media at MetsUp. Follow me on Twitter at GiraffeDeckMark. James at Cheater had no range. If you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find us, drop us a rating, drop us a review, as well as watch us on the YouTube channel. We saw a couple new reviews on there, so shout, shout out you guys. Yeah, shout out you guys. Keep dropping them. Shout out to everybody who's been supporting the stuff following us on twitter interacting we do appreciate it and we'll catch you on episode number 100 of the Mets up podcast peace out guys peace out guys see you next time